Good morning, everyone. Good to be with you. Uh, this is, uh, uh, we're in a series on, uh, on change. Uh, we've been looking at how God changes us over the last couple of weeks, and we're going to be looking at, at this um, to the end of June. Uh, this morning's message is not necessarily an easy one. It's a, it's a pretty heavy message, but I, I pray that it will be a, a place where you see how God changes us um, through the midst of suffering. Um, God has taught me um, immeasurable lessons through uh, my own personal suffering. Uh, probably the, the biggest one, and this is not a happy story, it's not uh, a fun one to tell, but I, I want to give you just a peek inside uh, my own life and, and the way God has used this to teach me. Uh, in 1991, I, I realize some of you were toddlers or not even born in 1991, which is okay, all right? In 1991, uh, Lori, my wife, and I had been married just a year, and uh, we were living in our apartment, and I was still attending school, and I was serving in a youth ministry. Uh, I had taken off that day. Her and I were going to the office that day. We were driving, and, uh, and we stopped and ate Chinese. I don't, I don't know why I remember some of the details of the day so much on the early part, and I couldn't tell you most of what happened in the evening. But that day, we stopped for Chinese, and then we headed to the office, and I got to the office and I walked in the door and our secretary approached me immediately. Um, and she said, you need to call home immediately. You need to call your parents' house right away. I thought, okay, well, that's a little odd. But went into my office and picked up the phone and the line was busy. That's when we actually had lines that were attached to the wall and you had to, there was, it's busy, anyway, it doesn't really matter. But it used to happen, you'd have a busy signal. And uh, so... Uh, it was busy. And then all of a sudden I see my best friend kind of come running in the office. I'm still on the phone trying to dial again. I thought, this is really odd. What's going on here? And uh, so he, he stepped into the office and said something to my wife. And then Lori came back into my office and she said, something has happened to your sister. And my heart sank. And uh, so I picked up the phone again. I dialed again in my parents' house and uh, the, um, um, the president of the college that my parents went to picked up the phone and, uh, and I said, you know, I told him who I was and, and uh, he, he had been there with my parents. And so he handed the phone to my dad and I just knew immediately. He didn't really even have to say anything. I just knew. And he just said, your sister's been in an accident and she's gone. That was it. She was 18 years old. And what had happened that day is it was really, it was raining really, really badly. And uh, she was heading back to the mall. She had just graduated high school. She was heading to the mall to um, get her last paycheck from Baskin Robbins. And uh, she was in the car that my parents owned and it was raining really heavily that day. And the car hydroplaned in the water and hit the back of a coal truck. And she died immediately. Um, so, um, jumped in the car, and some, some of the elders from my church drove my wife and I so that we could be with my parents, and three days later, I was standing over the casket of my 18-year-old sister. It was the summer from hell, because a week later, after my dad had just went to the doctor the day before my sister's accident, he received news a week later that he had pancreatic cancer. Two weeks later, we were standing in the hospital waiting for my dad to go into surgery to a cancer that is incurable. 
It was the most horrific moments in my life. We all have moments like that. Um, it may not be you, I mean, some of you are very young, and so you may not have had such devastating kind of things, but in the midst of that, God began doing some things uh, in our lives. It was, uh, I had never experienced death quite like that. My, uh, my grandmother, my great-grandmother had died when I was little, but that was it. That's all the death that I'd ever experienced. And so now God was beginning to teach me some things. All of us experience suffering. To one degree or another, we all experience suffering. It is a universal human experience, suffering is. First Peter chapter 4 says, Beloved, do not be surprised. Do not be surprised at the fire of trial when it comes upon you to test you as though something strange were happening to you. Do not be surprised. You know what the Greek word here is? It's don't be surprised. <laughs> Don't be surprised. Human suffering is a universal experience for all of us. Now, it comes at varying times and stays with us for varying amounts of times, right? There's degrees of suffering. That summer, in particular, was the most devastating, right? There have been many moments throughout my life where I've experienced suffering, some of them far more minimal, but um, still very weighty. So some of your suffering may last for a long time or a very short amount of time. It may come when you least expect it. It can happen internally or it can happen externally. Causes of suffering, when you think about what brings about suffering in this world, I mean, it can be the result of sin in your own life or the result of sin from someone else. We live in a very broken world and... Our suffering is a result of the fall. God never intended for us to suffer like this, but it is a result of the fall. Suffering can be physical, it can be illness, emotional. We can endure persecution, rejection, betrayal, anxiety, injustice, grief, abandonment, insults. The list goes on and on, doesn't it? Of different ways in which we can suffer. There are varying types of suffering. Job said that man is born unto trouble. Jesus said, in this world, you will have trouble. And James wrote, we fall into various trials. It is universal. You will suffer. We live in a broken world. And if you are not suffering now, you are probably near someone who is suffering. And just hold on for a bit. You probably will suffer at some point in your life. Scripture is very clear that God is not the author of suffering. He didn't create suffering. We, again, we live in a broken and fallen world. And I'm going to be honest with you, I don't pretend to have all the answers for why the world functions the way it does, why suffering exists and why bad things happen. I don't have all the answers to that. But I would like to propose one reason why suffering is allowed to happen in your life and in my life. And we, we really find it throughout Scripture. I want to take a look at 2 Corinthians chapter 4. If you have your Bibles, I want to invite you to open to that passage of Scripture. We are going to go back to Psalm 27, but I want to look first at 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verses 16 through 18. 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 16 through 18. It will be on the screen behind me as well. 
the Apostle Paul gives us a very countercultural view of suffering. It is not the normal view of human suffering that, that we would necessarily approach, but he gives us something that's very countercultural. He starts in verse 16. He says, So we do not lose heart. Though our outer self is wasting away, our inner self is being renewed day by day. For this light momentary affliction is preparing us for an eternal weight of glory beyond all comparison. As we look not to the things that are seen, but to the things that are unseen. For the things that are seen are transient, but the things that are unseen are eternal. This is the truth. That suffering is God's workshop of change in your life. Suffering is God's workshop of change in your life. It is a means in which God wants to change you and transform you. The key word that we look at here in verse 17, one of the key words here is that it says, for this is a light momentary affliction that is preparing, that suffering somehow is preparing you. This is a present tense word here, preparing. It is what God is doing in your life right now, in and through you. The word means to produce or to prepare. So God is using suffering to prepare you. John Piper said that every millisecond of your pain from fallen nature or fallen man, every millisecond of your misery in the path of obedience is producing a particular glory you will get because of suffering. Every millisecond of your suffering, God uses to shape you. Not only is this true for future glorification, which is talking about here in 2 Corinthians, but it, it also is about your present change and transformation. It is about your current sanctification. Romans 5 tells us that our present suffering produces in us endurance, character, and hope. Suffering is presently changing us more into the image of Christ. James writes, Consider it all joy, my brethren, when you encounter various trials, knowing that the testing of your faith produces endurance. And let endurance have its perfect result so that you may be perfect and complete, lacking in nothing. I mean, I, I know for myself, like, I want to be lacking in nothing, right? I want to be brought to perfection. I want to be I'm going to look more like Jesus next year than I do right now for sure. Well, what is the means in which God does that? Well, one of the means and ways he does that is through suffering in our life. There's no doubt that suffering produces something in us. It can produce bitterness and anger, or it can produce in us something beautiful and eternal. And suffering may be one of the most powerful contributors to your change and transformation. I would have preferred, much preferred, to avoid the pain and the suffering that I and my family encountered over that summer. And I wish that that tragedy had not happened. I wish my father had not gotten cancer and went through the excruciating pain of surgery and chemo and radiation to then two years later saying goodbye to another loved one. I would rather that not happen. And I don't know all the purposes for it, 
but I do know that God used those moments to change my life, to transform me. Today I want to share uh, a couple of theological principles with you, but I want to do it through two examples of real people in the Bible who were changed through suffering. And the first one I want to look at is um, David. We, read, we had his uh, psalm read, Psalm 27. Psalm 27 is an interesting psalm. Uh, we don't necessarily know um, the occasion for which David writes Psalm 27. Uh, there's a couple of different options that theologians and scholars kind of give us. The first option is that this is, uh, this is a psalm that David writes after being pursued by Saul, King Saul, who's trying to kill him, right? So he's driven out and, and escapes, and so now he's fleeing, and so that's one occasion that scholars said could have been. The other occasion could have been when his own son Absalom is trying to uh, take over the throne. So it would have been much later in his life, but it could have been an occasion where his, his own son his own son is pursuing him to try to take over his throne, which would mean death for David. So either way, he's, he's fleeing death. Like, this is not a good situation either way. So whichever direction you go and agree with scholars, it, it really doesn't matter. This is an incredibly difficult moment for David, where he's fearing for his own life. And in suffering, he writes these words, The Lord is my light and my salvation. Whom shall I fear? The Lord is, my, is the stronghold of my life. Whom shall I be afraid? When evildoers assail me to eat up my flesh, my adversaries and foes, it is they who stumble and fall. Though an army encamp against me, my heart shall not fear. Though war rise against me, yet I will be confident. One thing that I ask of the Lord that I Seek after that I may dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of my life, to gaze upon the beauty of the Lord and to inquire in his temple, for he will hide me in his shelter in the day of trouble. He will conceal me under the cover of his tent. He will lift me high upon a rock. Paul Tripp says, when, unex when the unexpected, the unwanted, the unplanned, the hard and the difficult enters your life, everyone in this room will become a theologian. Everyone in this room will become a philosopher. Everyone in this room will become an archeologist, digging, trying to discover and make sense of this life. There's no doubt in my mind that King David is digging in these moments. Like he has become a theologian, he's become a philosopher, he's become an archeologist where he's trying to dig and understand, God, why are these things happening to me? Why am I suffering? And we've all been there at moments in our life, haven't we? Something terrible has happened and you're looking for, you're looking for some kind of answer. Maybe looking over the casket of a loved one and asking God why. You may be feeling betrayed by a friend or brokenhearted once again by a relationship that's gone bad. Those moments we wonder, God, why, where? In a moment of suffering, we all run to something or to someone. In a moment of suffering, we all run to someone or to somewhere. Uh, when I was a kid, uh, we did a lot of stupid stuff, right? as kids do. So one of, one of our pastimes when I was a kid was that we would build a lot of ramps 
like my dad had always had a lot of extra wood and plywood in the garage, and so we would build ramps to jump our bikes off of. Uh, I mean, we thought they were huge, right? They were probably like, you know, two inches off the ground, but we thought we were super cool. And, uh, and so we would, we would jump our bikes off the ramp. Inevitably, someone was going to get hurt. Um, it was typically my brother, because he was, uh, on the stupid level, he was far stupider. But, um, uh, but we would, it, it, we'd always get, someone would always get hurt inevitably. And if I got hurt, I always knew where to run to, Right? If I get hurt, I know where to go. I know that if I get hurt, I'm going to run home. I'm not going to run to my neighbor's house. I'm not going to run to my friends. Like if I get hurt as a kid, I'm going to run to my mom, right? Because she, she knew how to fix me up, right? She would get out the package of, you know, Bactine. Do you guys even know what that is? Gosh, I'm aging myself terrible today. It's stuff you sprayed on that hurt like crazy. And then she would put Band-Aids all over you, Right? And so, and Band-Aids are like the magical formula for hurting kids. I don't care if it really, it, my arm could have fallen off. My mom could have used a Band-Aid and was like, oh, I feel better now. But I, if I was hurt, I always knew to run home because my mom would fix me up, right? If I felt like I was victimized or harassed in some way, I knew where to run. It was to run home to my dad because my dad was a man of justice, right? He was the one like... At McDonald's, if his order wasn't right, he was back right at the counter, and he was making amends for everything that went bad that day, right? So I knew if I needed, if I needed help, my mom and my dad were the places to go. See, I, I believe David in this psalm knows exactly where to run to. He knows exactly where to run to. Who and where do you run in times of trouble? Those places that you run to, the people that you run to, who you run to, will dictate the trajectory of your growth in Christ. Over the years, I've seen people run to all kinds of pretty terrible and dangerous places when they're suffering. I mean, it could be drugs or alcohol or sex or relationships, run to emotional places of hatred and despair. When King David is suffering and harassed, he runs to the house of the Lord. That's where he runs. He runs to the house of the Lord. He knows that in that house, he will find God's presence. He will find the beauty of the Lord. And in God's presence, he finds shelter. He is covered by the Lord. The Lord lifts him up. King David discovers what Paul writes in 2 Corinthians, the eternal weight of glory beyond all comparison. He learns that the Lord is his light and his salvation. He learns that the Lord is his stronghold. Who or what are you running to in moments of suffering? I want you just to think for a moment. The last time that you went through a moment or a season of suffering, where did you run to? Where did you run to? The second example I want to use today is uh, in the life of Paul. In 2 Corinthians chapter 1, Paul opens up the letter um, talking about, writing about some, some afflictions in that he was experiencing in Asia. Uh, we don't know, again, the details, uh, but it seems that he uh, had been on his missionary journey from Ephesus to Troas, 
Uh, and then and later in 2 Corinthians chapter 11, um, he summarizes the last 10 years of his ministry. And he's talking about his many imprisonments, countless beatings, his 39 lashes, being beaten by rods, having stones thrown at him, three shipwrecks, being in danger from rivers, robbers, the Jews, the Gentiles, being in danger in the city and the country and at sea. He's been hungry, cold, plagued with anxiety. And if that wasn't enough heartache, now here in, first, in 2 Corinthians chapter 1, he writes this, for we are so utterly burdened beyond strength that we despaired of life itself. Indeed, we felt that we had received the sentence of death. Whatever's going on in Paul's life, it was massively difficult. So much so that Paul is saying, it felt like I was about to die. You've been, have you had those moments in your life where the suffering feels so crushing, you just feel like you're losing the battle. Like, I just want to die here. I cannot endure one more second. That's the kind of weight that Paul is feeling in these moments. I cannot endure anymore. It is, I am burdened beyond my strength. Paul has a way in which he can take the worst of situations and he can discover what God wants to teach him through it. And we find exactly what God is doing in Paul's life when he says, burden beyond strength. We felt like I had received the sentence of death. The very next verse, Paul tells us exactly what God is trying to teach him. In verse 9, he says, but that was to make us rely not on ourselves, but on God who raises the dead that he delivered us from such deadly peril and he will deliver us. On him we have set our hope that he will deliver us again. Isn't that remarkable? Such the contrast, right? Where he says, I just feel like I'm gonna die, like this is so horrible. I just cannot endure one more day of this. Yet what is God teaching him? What is he teaching him? Hope, endurance, He's saying, I have been delivered from the Lord. What's he teaching him? He's saying that I can't rely on myself for this escape. But it's the God, my God, who raises the dead. So in peril and suffering, when I feel like I am dying here, it is God who raises the dead that rescues me. It's an amazing thing that Paul is learning here. I'd ask myself this week again, I had to ask myself, well, what was it that God was trying to teach us during that summer of hell? I mean, what was it that he was trying to speak to me? Like, I, I, don't, I don't think God caused it so that I could learn something. I think he was, he, those things happened, and in the midst of those, in the midst of the suffering, he allowed me to learn some things through that. So what was God using in this moment of suffering to teach us? And I had to go to 2 Corinthians chapter 12. I mean, I love 2 Corinthians. It's really the biography of Paul. It's an amazing book. I really encourage you to read through it and just see the, what, what God is using in the suffering of Paul to teach him. But I have to admit that what I learned through that summer, through those very difficult moments, is, is what Paul is also learning in 2 Corinthians chapter 12, where, 12, where he says, God's grace is sufficient for you. My power is made perfect in weakness. Therefore, I will boast all the more gladly of my weakness 
so that the power of Christ may rest upon me. For the sake of Christ, then, I am content with weakness, insults, hardships, persecutions, and calamities. For when I am weak, then I am strong. That's what I learned. That it was beyond my power to do anything. I'm standing over the casket of my sister and asking, what is... Why? God in his goodness and his faithfulness says, I'm going to use this moment of suffering so that you can learn to rely on me. It is not in your own strength. And it is a lesson that I have had to learn over and over and over again. I think that is the lesson of my suffering for most of my life, even up to this year. It is God continually teaching me that you cannot do this on your own. It is impossible. And so I keep coming back and I say, God, I am weak and you are strong. Teach me again this lesson. Even in our darkest, most difficult days of suffering, God is using it to shape us into the likeness of Christ. He is. Each one of you has stories of suffering I know you're probably thinking of them even right now, and some of you are walking through suffering as I'm talking to you today. Every one of us has those stories. Here's what I want you to do. Um, I want you to um, think of something, just a, a moment of suffering. It doesn't have to be like the worst day of your life, but it's just a moment of suffering. I want you to think about that day, that moment, that experience that you had. I want you to think about What do you believe that God may have been teaching you and shaping you in that moment? You got it in your head? You have that moment, that experience in your head? Here's what I want you to do. I want you to turn to your neighbor, and I want you to just very quickly, you have like 30 seconds each, you turn to your neighbor and you say, hey, this is something, uh, a time when I suffered, and this is what I believe God may have been teaching me in that moment. Ready, set, Go, get 30 seconds. All right, switch. You got 30 seconds, switch. Make sure your partner gets an opportunity. How many of you, just just raise your hand really quick, how many of you heard something from your partner, the person sitting next to you, that you'd say, wow, I mean, it really sounds like God was 
using something really difficult in their life to shape them and teach them. How many of you would say that would be true? Okay, so yeah, pretty much everybody. Yeah. I wanna give us two points of application today um, coming out of Second Corinthians. The first one is this, and that is that change through suffering can occur with the proper posture that we take. Change through suffering can occur with the proper posture. Paul encourages us in 2 Corinthians to not lose heart. Though our outer self is wasting away, our inner self is being renewed day by day. We feel like we're losing heart typically because we're, we tend to be kind of leaking buckets of faith. Where our outer self is, is wasting away. In fact, Paul in 2 Corinthians, just um, verses before this, calls us uh, clay pots. I'm going to encourage you to go back and read the beginning of chapter 4. But we ourselves are like leaking buckets, leaking pots, where our outer self leaks and is wasting away. But Paul says, don't give up, but instead, run to the one who will renew you. Being renewed day by day is returning to the only one that can fill you up, that can comfort you, and that can heal you. It's running back to the Lord every day saying, Lord, I cannot do this. I cannot do this. Renew me in your strength. It's it's having the desire of David's to dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of my life. Why does he have that desire? Because he knows that's the only place It's the only place in which he can find restoration. It's the only place that he can find healing. It's the only place that can fill him up day by day. He knew where to run. This word renewed that we find there is the same word that's used in Colossians chapter 3, verse 10. It says uh, that you have put on the new self, which is being renewed in the knowledge after the image of its creator. This is active. Renewal day by day takes a posture of a student of the Lord. It says, I'm a student in the workshop of change. Break me, mold me, shape me, renew me. God, do whatever you need to do to shape me more into the person of Jesus. This is a supernatural act that only God can do through the power of the Holy Spirit. While on the outside we feel like weakness and like death is stripping us of our humanity, his spirit renews us inwardly to be more and more like Jesus. And in moments of suffering, we submit to him, the author and perfecter of our faith. It's with this posture that you can can ask the Lord, Lord, teach me who you are. Teach me of your character Teach me of your ways. Show me, change me, renew me, fill me. And so we take a posture which God can use suffering to change us. It's not an easy posture. Most of the time we resist. We don't want suffering to occur in our life. But suffering can be used in such a powerful, powerful way to change and transform us. The second application is this, and that is that change through suffering can occur with the proper perspective. So it's about a posture and it's about a perspective. 
In suffering, there's a much different perspective between those who are with Christ and those without Christ. For those outside of Christ, suffering produces only pain. If you lack the hope of eternity when you're suffering, there's no other place to go but just meaninglessness. But Paul gives us an insight here in how we can have a very different kind of perspective. He says it here in verse 17, he said, for this light momentary affliction is preparing us for an eternal weight of glory beyond all comparison. As we look not to the things that are seen, but to the things that are unseen. For the things that are seen are transient, but the things that are unseen are eternal. Paul gives us three contrasting views of suffering. He contrasts it between light momentary affliction and the eternal weight of glory. He contrasts it between those things that are seen and those things that are unseen. And then he contrasts it between the transient and the eternal. In each of these comparisons, Paul wasn't trying to minimize the pain. He knew pain and suffering all too well and had no problem talking about his own suffering. What he's attempting to do is to put suffering in its proper perspective. What he's trying to tell us is there's so much more going on in the universe than we can see. For followers of Christ, there is an eternal perspective that we must have. This is not just a theological principle, but it is incredibly practical in our own lives. We only see what is visible, but there is an unseen realm that is veiled to us that we cannot see. What we see is transient. It's like a mist that's there for a moment and then it's gone. Jesus never minimized pain either. He wept at death and pain. But he also put in perspective when he told Lazarus' grieving sister, I am the resurrection and the life. Whoever believes in me, though he die, yet shall he live. And everyone who lives and believes in me shall never die. It's a very different perspective. When we run to the holy temple of God and we see Jesus in all of his beauty and his glory, we can proclaim like Martha, yes, Lord, I believe that you are the Christ, the Son of God, who is coming into the world, even in the midst of suffering. Nothing displays, nothing displays this perspective of suffering like the cross of Christ. When we look at the light momentary affliction versus the weight of eternal glory, we see the seen versus the unseen, the transient versus the eternal. There is nothing that displays that more beautifully than the cross of Christ. The cross displays the suffering of Jesus, taking on sin and suffering of this world so that we wouldn't have to suffer separated from God in this life and could live eternally with him. Seen through the lens of the cross of Christ gives us a proper perspective for our own suffering. The wrath of God that should have caused our eternal suffering fell on Christ. This is the glory of grace, and it could only come by suffering. It could only come by suffering. Peter wrote, Christ also suffered once for sins, the righteous for the unrighteous, 
that we might, that he might bring us to God. That is the good news of the gospel. Christ suffered once on the cross, preparing us for an eternal weight of glory beyond all comparison. Brothers and sisters in Christ, taking on the posture, the proper posture to see suffering and to know that it is none of us want suffering, none of us want to endure the kind of suffering that, that any of us will have endured in this lifetime. None of us invite it, we don't want it, but by taking the proper posture and seeing it from the perspective and the lens of the cross can change everything in our life. We can see the most difficult things in our life, the things that you will suffer throughout your days, whether it be enormous things of death and despair or those light momentary um, afflictions that are here one day and gone the next. When we submit ourselves to the Lord and say, God, teach us, take us to the workshop of suffering so that you can mold us and change us into the people that you desire us to be is a beautiful thing in the weight of glory. Let's pray together.